Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. On today's show, award-winning sports columnist Scott Fowler from the Charlotte Observer checks in to the Believe and Panthers podcast. First, it's the opening drive. Welcome to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. This is the opening drive. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, and I am joined by two-time Super Bowl winner, the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers, first round of the 1995 NFL Draft, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? Hey, Des. Always good, man, to deliver the news to the Carolina Panther. Fans, the North and South Cackalack. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the show's starting to build a little bit of buzz. Uh, now that we've been on, Ty's been on now, uh, going on a month now since uh, he's joined us here on the Believe in Panther podcast as a co-host. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting some good reviews. I'm seeing some Panther fans saying they're, they're enjoying the podcast and That's love the good. topics we're talking about for sure. Today, I wanted to talk about Teddy Bridgewater because with everything that's been going on, uh, we've kind of, we haven't forgotten about Teddy. I don't want to say it like uh-huh. that, but we haven't really focused on Teddy yet. And uh, Teddy's stepping in some pretty huge shoes coming into a franchise that's had a, a starting quarterback for the past seven plus years uh, in Cam Newton and what a personality that is um, having to replace a Cam Newton. Um, Teddy actually uh, had some audio earlier this week. Him and head coach Matt Rule uh, were uh-huh. asking questions. Um, that I want to go over with you real quick, uh, mm-hmm. Ty. First, Teddy uh, – well, actually, first, head coach Matt Rule, people were at kind of questioning, you know, well, why they let Cam go. He's going to make about the same amount as what Teddy would have if he had stayed on that last year. What's the, mm-hmm. Why bring in Teddy? Uh, Matt Rule pretty much explains why uh, they went with Teddy in this uh, upcoming uh, audio clip here where he's describing how, Matt, uh, how Teddy Bridgewater – uh, is confident in the offense. Here's the audio. Yeah, I mean, Ted, Ted, Teddy knows it so well. And, um, you know, he, he and Joe have just kind of a great relationship, you know, a football relationship as a result of it where they can um, talk about, like, level three and level four coaching points, you know, because uh, Teddy's been in it, he's worked in it. And uh, the things that Joe's added or changed or brought, you know, and, from college. And that is a, uh, a bit of a difference, so tie in terms of, uh, something people haven't really considered, you know, with a new offensive coordinator and Joe Brady coming in, if they had kept Cam Newton, how much of a uh, – how long of a period of a time would he have been able to had to learn this offense, especially with everything going on with coronavirus, not being able to be face-to-face so much? Um, granted, that wasn't going on when they made the decision, but it was right there on top of it pretty much in March. Uh, do you feel like, looking back in hindsight now – that the Panthers are going to be better equipped to compete in 2020 with Teddy Bridgewater uh, under center as opposed to Cam Newton? I definitely believe so. 
I think first you have to understand as a football or a organization minded person, if you're building anything, you got to bring in similarities. You got to bring in, if you're trying to build a house made of all red brick, you got to bring in all red bricks. It doesn't matter if the bricks come from the East Coast, the West Coast, North, South. You're trying to build a red brick house. It doesn't matter if you already have bricks, if they're brown bricks, they're not going to work. So you got to, you don't want to let the brown bricks go, but they don't fit the system. Mm-hmm. They don't fit the red house that you're trying to build. So the same thing here. You look at uh, Matt Rule, he has a vision. Look at Joe Brady, he has an offensive style. And Cam, as good as he is, it doesn't mean that Cam's a bad quarterback. He's a bad player. Cam just doesn't fit the system that Joe Brady wants to run. You go over to the owner, David Tepper. There are a lot of things that he changed because it doesn't fit the vision and the style that he wants for this organization. So it doesn't say that people are bad just because you let them go or you release them or you cut them or you fire them. It just says you do not fit into the vision that we see that we want to build. I'm glad you brought up um, Joe Brady and here's some more audio from uh, actually from Teddy Bridgewater himself from uh, the press conference he had uh, remotely earlier this week from training camp. Uh, in Charlotte, where he, in this clip you'll hear him talking about uh, new offensive coordinator Joe Brady and basically how he's uh, putting his own stamp on the Panther offense. Of course, with Joe uh, spending time at LSU and uh, you know being on the journey that he's come on, uh, he's added his wrinkle and uh, different things to this offense. So uh, I'm excited about that and just a familiar, uh, being familiar with this system. It, it's been huge. You know, especially for us, with us not being able to meet in person for OTAs throughout the spring. I, I, you know what? I like what I hear from Teddy Bridgewater. He seems, he seems really confident, like a calm kind of confident uh, tie. Like you know, some guys are boisterous. Uh, some guys wear their emotions on their sleeve, and we're used to that. We've had that here for the past seven plus years. And Cam Newton, in terms of the Panthers playing great, 2015, he's up the whole year pretty much. Like he's celebrating, dabbing, taking photos on the sideline, having it just looks like a kid, you know, having a great time. And then we've seen the lows where, you know, the last seven or eight starts that Cam had here, he lost all of those starts. And it was kind of a, a slow descent into where the Panthers are going to be starting now in 2020. Um, talk to me about football players and confidence because – and a lot of other sports, confidence will take you a long way. In football, to me, it feels like, yeah, confidence is there, but you got to also have the skill to be able to back up that confidence. Um, do you do you sense that from Teddy? Like, because it feels like the players are starting to gravitate towards him, too. Not so much as a uh, a mark on Cam Newton and his leadership, but that is different. It's a different type of leadership, and with them all being so young, it, it, maybe this was a great fit. We'll find out when they roll the ball out, but. What are your thoughts on that and Teddy and his his confidence level? Because uh, it, it kind of screams at you in these audio clips and these these video clips that he's been at, uh, been in. Well, you go back to when Teddy played at Louisville. You probably see the same. If you ask the coaches there, you ask his teammates, they're going to probably say, yes, he's, he's the same Teddy Bridgewater, the same mannerism, the same confidence, the same type of work habits ethics 
And then you come to the pros and what he has going for him is the fact that he has coaches that believe in him. He has coaches that support his abilities to play in the system that they're trying to establish here in Carolina. So with that being said, it's easy for Teddy to continue with that confidence, that awareness that, hey, I have the ability to be the leader here and I'm going to go ahead and do it because I got Matt Rule and I got Joe Brady who are keeping me informed that I am the guy here. I will lead this team. You are the reason why our offense will go or it won't go. So that anytime you tell a player that, that's just like your old man, your dad, your father, patting you on the back and say, son, you made me proud. Mm. It makes you want to go out there with more confidence. So Matt Rule and Joe Brady, that's what they're doing to Teddy Bridgewater. That's why his confidence is why where it is. And plus, he's supposed to have that. He's a quarterback. Right, right. So with Matt Rule and Joe Brady patting him on the back saying, hey, you're our quarterback. You're going to lead this 2020 Panthers team then yes, his confidence should be like it is on top of what he has already established during his college career because he wouldn't be a professional quarterback if he didn't have the college uh, confidence and you can go all the way back to high school or back when he first started playing sports. His confidence started then, but it really emphasizes itself when someone gets behind you and give you that pat on the back and say, Hey, you're our guy. So I don't expect nothing less than the confidence that we're hearing from Teddy because of what Matt rule and Joe Brady and the owner, David Tepper are probably telling Teddy. And, you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, Teddy coming in and having not just Matt rule, but Joe Brady, someone he's comfortable with someone he, he, he uh, played, I guess you could say under while uh, Brady was an assistant with the New Orleans Saints a couple years back. Uh, you know, Brady's kind of been off on his own journey, went to LSU as the quarterback or the passing coordinator, I guess you could say, uh, which led to, you know, Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow throwing for 6,000 yards and winning the Heisman and the national championship. Uh, Joe Brady could be a head coach in the NFL if things kind of fall the way you kind of hope them to fall over the next couple of years. He's super young. He's in his early 30s. So um, the trend of NFL teams kind of going to these young offensive masterminds, Sean McVay in L.A., uh, you know, uh, uh, Shanahan out in San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan. So it, it, that that's there. The Panthers kind of have that sitting there for that. Um, I do have another bit of audio from uh, new starting uh, Panther quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater talking about how basically Joe Brady's offense isn't designed to target one person or one player at a time. It's designed to have the ball spread out. Joe isn't just calling plays to get one guy the ball. I mean, yeah, you design plays uh, for specific guys, but um, when you're in this offense, um, as you go through your progression, there's always going to be someone coming into your vision wherever you start at. Um, There's always going to be an outlet for you. And uh, I try to reiterate that to the guys so that Everyone is, you know, performing their play at high high speed. Uh, sometimes you see guys uh, on a progression when you're installing, they see, hey, they're just, you know, part of the play and they may want to take a play off. But, you know, for those guys to understand that, 
everyone's alive, a viable option in this offense. It keeps everyone on their toes and it keeps everyone locked in. So from Teddy's comments there, um, it actually answered one of my questions uh, that I was actually going to ask you, Ty. Um, who's the dangerous guy in this offense? Because clearly Christian McCaffrey is going to be the guy everybody keys on. But I like what I heard there from Teddy in terms of the one thing that used to bother me about Cam Newton, if we're just going to be real here, if it's just me and you talking, <laughs> it's it was primarily that he would stare guys down uh, in mm-hmm. the passing game. Um, Cam, there's two types of quarterbacks to me. There's either you're a quarterback that has to throw to an open receiver or you're a quarterback that can consistently throw open a wide receiver. And Cam was kind of in the middle. He, in the beginning of his career, he had so much arm strength with his shoulder, he could just get that ball in there with his upper body and it would just get to the receiver pretty much the same time the defender did. He rarely Mm -hmm. threw guys just open. You know, either they were already running open down the field and he saw them or he never saw him and try to force it someplace else. Teddy seems to have more of a touch on his pass. Um, I wouldn't say Cam, I wouldn't say he has a stronger arm than Cam Newton. Uh, there's only a few maybe in the league, if any, that do. But it, Teddy seems to have more finesse. And with him understanding this offense, coming in with the ground running, and we've we've heard him talk about how he you know got together group sessions where guys, uh, offensive players, were getting together in Charlotte before training camp with Teddy that he coordinated – uh, to kind of get them ahead of the game. So I think a lot of people are, are thinking that, oh, they're starting from scratch. They've never even looked at the playbook. They don't know what they're doing. But in actuality, Teddy Bridgewater is kind of taking this leader role in terms of bringing these guys together early, teaching them third, fourth level aspects of the offensive playbook, and kind of getting them to a level where right now they can they can kind of play free. They, they don't have to worry so much about, you know, page five, page eight, you know, what's on this? What's that? Mm-hmm. What, where am I supposed to be? They can kind of play a little bit freer because Teddy's been there to kind of help him with that. Do you do you think from what you've seen, I'm going to go dig up his record because I know Teddy's a winner. Everywhere he's been, he's won. Is there a possibility that Teddy could be a long-term starter in Carolina? Because he only signed a three-year deal, but they kind of it's really a two-year deal. It leaves room for the Panthers to get out of it, leaves room for Teddy to get out of it. But – I'm hearing so many good things from the players, from Teddy, from the coaches. If it translates on the field, do you have an issue with them extending Teddy to to be the face of this franchise longer than maybe people might have originally anticipated? Well, at the end of the day, why do you start players? Why do you sign players? That's the question. You sign players to win games, just like Herm Edwards said it. We play the game to win. Right. So if Teddy can win games, I don't care if Teddy is 5'11", weighing 160 pounds, <laughs> or he could be 6'6", 250. If he can win games, he will be with the Panthers as long as he is winning games. That's the bottom line issue. Mm-hmm. Do you give us an opportunity to to win? That's why they sign free agents. That's why they draft players to win games. So Teddy would be around as long as Teddy is able to produce on that football field and hopefully get the Panthers into another Super Bowl opportunity. But the name of the game is to win because if you win, you please the fans the seats get full, the owner is happy, and, yeah, bottom line, that's it. You play the game to win. Now, so Teddy has a 22-12 and 12 career record as a starter, 
His best season was in 2015. He completed 65.3% of his passes, uh, leading the Minnesota Vikings to an NFC North Division title that year. Um, and then he had his uh, knee injury, non-contact in August the year after 2016. Um, but, yeah, 22 and 12, man. That, I mean, that's Minnesota. That's New Orleans. Uh, now, I know a lot of people will say, well, Des and Tyrone, he had some talent in New Orleans. That's why he was 5-0. and I mean, he's got Alvin Kamara. He's got Michael Thomas, blah, blah, blah. And in Minnesota, he had some talent there. Um, but he's got talent here. He's got talent in Carolina that's comparable to what was in New Orleans last year. And in some of those spots, the talent in Carolina, dare I say it, is better than what he had in New Orleans. I mean, I would take Christian McCaffrey over Alvin Kamara. I would take uh, I probably I'd take Michael Thomas over <laughs> the three wide receivers we have in Carolina. But it's not that far of a gap from the core, like the the wide receiver core of New Orleans. You take Michael Thomas out of it, the other guys they had to throw to, compared to what he'll be throwing to in Carolina with uh, Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, I mean, you could argue that he's actually stepping into a situation in Carolina where his skill players are actually going to be a better better fit for him in terms of being able to spread the ball around all over the place than even what he had in New Orleans when he went 5-0, and uh, subbing for Drew Brees, who was out last year with a thumb injury. Yeah, see, that's a great thing that Teddy – and the offense have going for them is the similarity of the New Orleans Saints offense. I think you're going to see pretty much the same style of play. You will see the same style of play that the Saints are, the Saints fans are accustomed to seeing. The Panther fans are get, going to be accustomed to seeing that as well. Uh, the, the, Panth- the Panthers may have a little more speed on the outside to stretch more of those deep plays, but you're going to see from the quarterback position, and that's why that's why Teddy is the quarterback here and not Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Because again, like I said, Cam does not fit the style. Not that now that doesn't say that Cam could not run this offense, but I think it would be more of a struggle for Cam to catch on than it was for Teddy, who has already been in this system. He understands it. So he knows where to go with the ball against certain types of defenses. Whereas you got a Cam Newton, he's going to rely on his athletic ability to try to squeeze a ball in there when he should have gone to the to the dump to the running back, dump it off mm-hmm. to the running back. So Teddy is in a unique situation where he comes into a system that he's familiar with. Now I believe you can see DJ Moore become that Michael Thomas. If he goes out and he learns what he's supposed to do in this offense, you're going to see DJ Moore have a great season. So it's all predicated on, for as far as DJ Moore, the type of season he has is based off of how much of this offense he gets into his mental of the game. And people will, will be talking about DJ Moore just like they're talking about Michael uh, Thomas. So at the end of top of that, you got Robbie Anderson, you got Curtis Samuel. So these guys will play an important role as well. But DJ Moore or somebody, if not DJ Moore, one of those three receivers, if this offense is to go anywhere on the height of the potential that it has on paper, one of those three receivers, I'm I'm saying DJ Moore because mm-hmm. he is supposed to be the number one guy. He has to show himself as a number one guy. He has to be able to beat one-on-one coverage because if they got to double DJ Moore, 
then that's going to open up Robbie Anderson, mm-hmm. Curtis Samuel, and it's going to make Christian McCaffrey probably have more yards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, so yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of guys that really have to do their part, not just Teddy. But the offensive line got to be able to block and give all these guys an opportunity. So on paper, the path of offense is solid. But, again, I go back to Herman Moore. Herman Moore, we play the game to win. Or you can go back to Bill Parcells. He said, this is why you lift all those weights. Right. So this is why they are doing these virtual sessions uh, studying the playbook, working out. So everybody can just do their job and give everybody else an opportunity to showcase their talent and this offense will probably be unstoppable. The one the one thing um, from what you just said there, the differences between Teddy and Cam Newton, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't make it sound like we're dumping on Cam Newton. I mean, Cam no, Newton not is at the face of the franchise. Yeah, I don't want to make it seem like we're doing that, but – we're trying our best to move forward. It's like you kind of got out of a bad, well, not a bad relationship, a long-term relationship. It just kind of fizzled out in the end. You still think about her a little bit, but you, but you've moved on <laughs> to someone well, else. No, no, just saying that Cam does some great things here in Carolina now. So you can't just say up is okay. Hey, Cam is done. It's right, Cam. Yeah, Cam go to New England. They they still gonna be talking about Tom Brady. Exactly. And I don't care if, yeah. if Cam <laughs> wins a Super Bowl this year. They still they're gonna be fans who support Tom Brady, just like here in Carolina. There are fans who truly love Cam Newton. So you got to continue to talk about his name, like you said. You know, you may not talk about it as much, but Teddy is the guy here. But you know, you can't forget what Cam did. He's a great quarterback, but it just Cam doesn't fit the system. Right. Teddy and does. So Teddy is the man now. I, and I will say. Um, for his career, Teddy Bridgewater, um, he, he he came in as a rookie in 2014. Um, 2014, he had 12 interceptions. In 2015, he had nine interceptions. But ever since then, 2017, 2018, 2019, he's never had more than two interceptions in a season, uh, 25 for his career. So he's thrown 25 interceptions over five seasons. And he got uh, – he went 5-0 and last year in New Orleans – um, he was completing at a 67% clip. Uh, we're just not used to it. You know what I mean? Like in Carolina, we're not used to having a quarterback that's careful with the football, even before Cam. You know, Jake DeLome. Jake DeLome was loose with that ball, man. <laughs> he would he would throw it around. He was kind of Brett Favre light in terms of uh, him just getting, taking chances and just throwing it all over, peppering the field with uh, the football. And then you get Cam after that. That's two quarterbacks over a – 14 year period of time that's half mm-hmm. the half the franchise's uh you know lifespan where we've been mm-hmm. used to having a quarterback where it doesn't surprise us on third and eight if he throws an interception because he's mm-hmm. forcing something or he's trying to get something down the field teddy is not that guy um teddy doesn't turn the ball over um and he seems to know like you harped on he seems to know instead of when it's third and six you need those six yards to move the chains Instead of what Cam used to do, which would be he'd have a wide out on the left, a wide out on the right, like a two-route type set, and a lot of protection back for him, and he's having to wait for these two guys to get open uh, down the field a good 15, 20 yards. So that stretches that play out four seconds, five seconds, six seconds. And the line, there's no offensive line that can cover that consistently in the entire NFL. I don't care what team it is. You're not going to be able to cover longer than five-plus seconds in the NFL – 
or or be able to block, I should say, uh, a defensive front for that long, waiting for one or two guys to get open. With Teddy, you can almost empty out the backfield on third and six, put McCaffrey up on the line as a wide receiver, you know, four or five wide outs, and you're basically pay, playing backyard football at that point. You know, you take a go route, you do a button hook, you're taking a slant this way, you're going that way, and you're just going to have so much confusion with these guys running everywhere and the trust – of the coaching staff of Teddy to make the right play. He said something in that uh, that audio that we played a little bit earlier where he was describing spreading the ball out. And he was saying, you know, the offense is designed basically so that you're going to see a guy come open, you know, a couple of ticks after you've snapped the ball. He might not be the first read you were waiting on, but you're taught to not stay on that first read. The guys are going to get open. It's not going to be the same guy every time. And with him having that mentality of not just trying to feed the ball to – DJ Moore or whoever to get it to everybody. I think everybody's going to eat. And I, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm excited to see what this offense does uh, with Wonder Kid Joe Brady running the helm uh, in Charlotte. Um, we're in the opening drive. Desmond Johnson, Tyrone Poole here with you, the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. And I did want to do one thing uh, this week since we were talking about quarterbacks, Ty. Um, basically, build a quarterback. You know, you've heard of build a bear. Uh, at the mall, you go in, you get a bear built for your, your kid, that kind of thing. I wanted to build a Panthers quarterback and play this little game with you real quick. Um, I, I, I made five different categories, and what I wanted to do was use a former Panthers quarterback for each category to build the ultimate Panthers quarterback. Now, the only trick to this would be we can only use that quarterback once. So if you're using uh, Cam Newton or whoever for one of these Categories you can't use them a second time, so we got to be real careful with who we select here. Um, and I, the categories I picked were arm, legs, body, head, and intangibles. Uh, intangibles meaning, you know, two minutes to who do you trust the most in a two minute drill? You know, in the fourth quarter, you're down by five, you need a touchdown, like that kind of thing. Like, who who is it out there that that was a Panther quarterback that you trust? In that moment, a guy that's going to get you that first down when you need it and you trust him more than the others. Head's really more about who's make, who makes the right play. Like who's going to, you know, if you got four or five wideouts going out, who's going to make that dump off? Like who's going to find the open guy quicker than the other guys? Then the other three are pretty self-explanatory, you know, arm, legs, and body. Um, let's start off with arm because well, there's well, some strong you, guys there. Well, well I'm going to tell you I know you got your, you got your, 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 I'm at the altar, altar a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> myself being out there and playing this game for a long time, uh, there are a lot of attributes, um, and maybe we can kind of work together. Oh yeah. But Did you have some actions? Yeah. No, no, not extra. Well, I guess you could say they're my different approach to building a quarterback, um, uh, Arm strength, definitely, like you said, uh, and in this day and day and age of football, mobility or athletic ability, decision making, field vision, and the one big thing that I think all great quarterbacks or great people, period, is heart, heart. So uh, that's an intangible. So it's kind of yeah, like yeah, saying, pretty much the same thing, but uh, heart, field vision. Because you got to be able to see the field, like you said, you got to be able to dump it off of this guy. If your first read is 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 uh, covered, then you got to be able to go through your progression. You got to be able to see the field, uh, field vision, uh, decision making, mm-hmm. uh, mobility, and arm strength. So that those yeah. were the kind of like the same thing that you you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say mobility would be the legs, and then like field mm-hmm. vision. Um, what was it you said field vision and uh, uh, decision else? making? Decision making. I'd say head. That that would be head mm-hmm. go in that category. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so we're pretty much on the same, same wavelength. Same, yeah. So yeah. Uh, starting off with arm, um, and I th- we might pick the same guy here. I pick Steve. <laughs> I pick Steve Verlon for arm. Uh, I'm saving Cam for something else. Uh, not necessarily arm strength, but just being able. I mean, Steve is the only quarterback in Panther history to throw for over four thousand yards in a season, right? He threw yeah, like yeah, four hundred yards. So I mean, I, I know that team didn't make the playoffs. It was, um, let's say, it was ninety seven, ninety nine. Uh-huh. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs. They barely missed. I think they were eight and eight that year. Um, and they were a fun team to watch. I mean, Burlow yeah. was throwing it all over the field. Uh, Moose had developed into a number one receiver. Uh, Smitty wasn't here yet. Um, he had Wesley Walls at tight end, so he had some guys that he could throw the ball to. Um, but yeah, he he was he was pretty damn good <laughs> that season. Uh, yes, and he, uh, he still holds the franchise record for most yards in a season passing. So for me, I picked Steve Berline. Now I don't know if you picked him or not, but that, that's who I went with when it went with arm. Yeah, well, when I went with arm strength. Uh, I went with uh, Kerry Collins. Uh, he started 42 games uh, here with the Panthers and coming out of college, you know, their scouting report was that he could throw uh, all the throws. Hmm. He, could, he, could, he could throw the pass tree. Um, and he has superior arm strength. So that is the first thing that caught my mind, uh, caught my eye. So for arm strength, uh, not necessarily his throwing mechanics. <laughs> Terry had that. Kerry had that baseball wind up. But as far as arm strength, Kerry Collin had a superior arm. So I had Kerry as my arm strength. So I um, and I I have Kerry in a different category based off of a previous podcast that we had. Uh, I think it was one of the first ones where you had joined on uh, to the mm-hmm. Believe in Panther podcast. I actually have Kerry as body. Um, cause again, I'm saving cam for a different category and, uh, <laughs> with Carrie. I remember you talking about the way he was built. And I think a lot of people forget Carrie Collins was six foot five, 247 pounds. I mean, this was not a small dude <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I could put, if I could build a guy and start off with that frame at quarterback mm-hmm. six, five, 247, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm yeah. I'm good with that. That's uh, <laughs> that's he's gonna be bigger than most of the guys on the field, uh, except for you know like offensive linemen or whatever, defensive linemen. But like, if Kerry ran as as much as some of these later quarterbacks did, you would have linebackers and defensive backs having to make business decisions out on the field whether or not they want to tackle this dude, right? I mean, he's now you saw him up close in person. You played with him a few years. It, it, six five two forty seven. Am I tripping or is that like? When you saw him on the field, were you like, oh, dude, this is the quarterback, like because of his size, or is that deceiving? Well, Kerry and I played together in the uh, Senior Bowl um, as well. We played together in the Senior Bowl, so I um, had an opportunity to see Kerry. Um, and uh, you, I mean, you know, he's a big boy. He's a yeah. big boy. So <laughs> if it's a quarterback sneak, uh, then he is pretty much <laughs> – going to fall forward every time yeah <laughs> which is great to have i mean i want to i don't want uh no offense to him but i don't want a kyler murray type of quarterback that's like it, it almost almost like johnny manzel a little bit like real small in stature um you could almost put drew Brees in that category a little bit although he's proven 
with his arm that, you know, his size wasn't going to really matter. But he's still having to tippy-toe over the offensive line to see, you know, where he's going. You can catch it if you're looking for it when you're watching the Saints game. But uh, guys like Kyler Murray, they almost have to run out of the pocket to get out of the way of the offensive line to throw the ball effectively. I don't like quarterbacks like that. I don't want to 5'10", run around everywhere, uh, just kind of almost like a chicken with their head cut off type of, like, just running, scrambling, like Fran Tarkenton style. I don't like that so much. I like um, more the mold of Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, where, yes, they can run, they can get out of the pocket, they can hurt you for real out of the pocket that way, but they they have a bit of stature to them. They got a little bit of girth, I guess, Cam obviously being the prototype for that, Lamar and Pat being more version 2.0 of that same type of uh, quarterback, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, with the, so having said that, I, I picked Kerry for body because you convinced me of that. I didn't even think about Kerry Collins being a huge guy until you mentioned it on a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago that he was you <laughs> know, a pretty big dude. Yeah. I went back and looked him up. I was like, Oh my God, he is. He's about the same size as Cam. So I would have picked him for the body legs. Obviously uh, that's the one I say for Cam Newton. We, we don't uh, have a quarterback uh, that could, basically defenses is this true or not let me ask you this while we're, we're, we're sitting here on this part you always hear uh defenses or people talking heads saying that on defense you're basically playing 10 on 11 because for more often than not you don't have to dedicate a guy to the quarterback specifically if they're not a running threat is that true or is that just kind of one of them things that people say <laughs> when they're uh trying to talk football or whatnot is it true on a defensive side if you're if you're seeing a quarterback across from you that is not a running like a philip rivers or someone that's not a running threat whatsoever is it true the defense is basically playing 10 on 11 that is a fact that uh is that fact. is a fact that's a fact i'm like you go back and and we talked about it before you know thomas davis he was drafted because of uh the michael atlanta vick. falcons michael yeah. vick yeah so anytime you got a mobile quarterback you basically have that extra player that the defense has not accounted for because traditionally the quarterback always stayed in the pocket. So again, we go and we talk about so many pocket quarterbacks. Uh, you go talk about Indianapolis coach Phillips Rivers. Uh, mm-hmm. Phillip Rivers is a pocket quarterback. So you don't really have to worry about him rushing or running unless the pocket just breaks down and both of the ends and the tackles get pushed up field and the quarterback has to run. You know, you're not worried about Drew Brees running. Yeah, you talk about the NFC South. You're not worried about Tom Brady running. So really, you can you don't have to necessarily have that guy that spies on the quarterback. And you can really now play 11 on defense against 10 on offense. But whenever you got that mobile guy, it's like it kind of balances everything up when you have that mobile quarterback. And see, and that's the that's the thing that separated Cam from because there's a stretch really from Cam's rookie year 2011 to about 20 2016 2017 when Pat Mahomes Lamar Jackson and those guys started coming in the league to Sean Watson uh that kind of took Cam's game to another level in terms of uh being able to pass the ball effectively as well um it, for me just I, I've seen Cam Newton drag 10 Atlanta Falcons down the field for a first down before <laughs> you know like that's yeah I've seen Cam take some hits too <laughs> Right, like he's doing that running too. <laughs> we've seen him. We've seen him give him out. We've seen him look for guys to hit. I mean, it's like it's it's odd quarterback behavior. You normally don't see a quarterback 
looking for a defensive back to run into as he's running down the field like Cam would do. Yeah. And that's ca- that's caught up to him a little bit. People said that probably would down the road. Uh, of course, it's a it's a, a hard hitting, violent sport. And Cam, I guess, assumed it's better for him to be the battering ram than to be the wall. I guess so. Yeah. Um, and we'll see with that. But I picked him for legs. Um, yeah. Was that your pick as well him, for? Yeah, and I had Cam. I had Cam for, for the mobility, mobility leg, yeah. everything like that. So the athletic ability. So that was my choice. Like you said, six five. Uh, six six somewhere in that area, two forty eight, and can run, and he's mm-hmm. mobile. Then yes, uh, that's my mobile quarterback. So yeah. try I to, good luck <laughs> trying to tackle my quarterback. <laughs> I couldn't go with like Chris Winkie or somebody in that spot when I had Cam sitting there. So definitely had to put Cam on. And then uh, the last two head. I know we haven't seen him in a Panther uniform officially yet, but I stuck Teddy Bridgewater there um, from yes. from everything that we've heard from him. And his coaching staff and the players, Christian McCaffrey and, and DJ Moore were in press uh, conferences this week talking glowingly about him too. He seems like a guy that can read defenses. And I think sometime, sometimes Cam kind of got away with not being able to do that and his athletic ability just overwhelmed and he was able to get by with it for so long. And we've seen that happen with quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen – Hell, Michael Vick talked about his entire career in Atlanta. He hardly watched film. That he was basically getting by off of just athletic ability. And it wasn't until after he returned to the NFL and got with Andy Reid in Philly where we saw what Michael Vick could have been if he had stuck his nose in the books, watched film. Basically, if he had took just half of what Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or a Luke Keekley would do in a tape room uh, yeah. each week. And you saw what happened. Michael Vick explodes in that Monday night football game against the Redskins to this day. I don't know if I've seen any quarterback perform at that. I mean, he was performing like 2005 Madden Vick, the video game Vick. <laughs> like, yeah. like all yeah. those just 80-yard bombs to Deshaun Jackson. Like, no, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. So you think about that and you go, man, how dangerous would Atlanta would have been if someone had just gotten on Mike Vick early to you know study film, study film, yeah. uh, you know, perfect your craft. And with Teddy, it kind of feels like he obviously he doesn't have the same athletic ability of a Mike Vick or Cam Newton, but I think it might be safe to say that he may be more uh, football smart than those two yeah. in terms of being able to dissect plays. Um, how hard is it to defend a quarterback that can do that? Because uh, really, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, active quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, uh, that are active right now, Aaron Rodgers, uh, yeah. Pat Mahomes. I just saw the other day, Pat Mahomes said he's still learning how to read defenses, which is nuts. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to read defenses correctly yet going into year three, and he's already got a Super Bowl MVP and a league MVP. There's really yeah. only, uh, there's only like three or four guys that can really just dice you up from back there. Yeah. Ty, as a former cornerback, how hard is it when, you, when you're a cornerback and you're trying to man up against somebody and you know you've got – uh, that dude back there, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, uh, that can just slice you up no matter what your defense yeah. does, they're going to find the open guy and get five, eight yards or whatnot. How yeah. how hard is that for a defensive player to to deal with? It's always hard whenever you got a defensive guy. I'm going to say, as a defensive guy, you got a smart quarterback because they can, you know, do so many, do so many things to, to, to find a weakness 
of the defense. And, it, and it's hard to disguise against a smart quarterback. But as for me, uh, decision-making, I call that decision-making, mm-hmm. uh, the head. So um, Field vision. I looked at two people. I looked at two people. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was one of the guys that I selected based off of his past and what he's saying now, what he's done in the past, basically, mostly. Not what he's saying now, but what he's done in the past. So you don't become a 60, $63 million quarterback by not being able to make great decisions. So he was one. The other guy, I'm going to take the Panther fans back. Hmm. Now, this guy only started three games for the Panthers in 95. But anybody who can bring a team back from 35 the three and you end up winning, then that's a decision-making quarterback had to make the right throws. And that's Frank Wright. Frank, Frank Wright is now the uh, head coach for the uh, Indianapolis the Colts. Yeah. So you have to make great decisions to bring your team back from a 35 to three, uh, you know, shellacking, so to speak in the first half of the game. So with those two people, if I could take mm. half of the brain, maybe from Frank and half of the brain from Teddy Bridgewater's <laughs> decision making, but those are my two guys for decision making on the head. That's a great pick too, because Frank Wright he kind of built his career off of uh, comebacks. Because don't forget, I mean, he's the one that was the quarterback uh, when the Bills made that huge comeback in the playoffs against the Titans, uh, the Houston, uh, Houston Oilers, the Oilers. Yeah. It was the Oilers. Oilers right? They hadn't yes. even moved yet. Up in Buffalo. And they were what they were. I think they were down like 35 to three or something crazy like that. Yeah. And he brought them back uh, in the second half. And then for real old timers, like me and you might remember, he did the same thing in college. He had a, he had a huge comeback win cause he was a quarterback at Maryland. I can't remember who they were playing, but it was the same type of situation. They were down like 35 to three or something. And he led him all the way back to a win. And he kind of became known as that dude that, you know, if you need to pull something out of a hat, or you know, <laughs> he might be able to guy to get it to you. And like you said, he's the yeah. uh, he's the head coach now of the Indianapolis Colts. He's got Phillip Rivers in his, uh, his arm in uh, Indy right now. So we'll see how they do. And then finally, intangibles. Uh, you called it heart. Um, I, I, I kind of had that grouped in there because intangibles can mean a whole lot of things. But to me, intangibles meant like, who's that guy that you're going to look at in the huddle when you're on your own 20, you got two minutes to go, you're down four or five, a field goal's not going to win it. You got to get in the end zone. Who is the Panther quarterback that you would trust back there the most? And I picked Jake DeLone Um, in terms of heart, like just knowing his background, where he came from, the journey that got him to Carolina, the whole story there. Uh, and for me, it'd be Peak DeLome, which would be 2003 to about 2008. Um, that five-year stretch where uh, the first couple years he had Steve Smith and Moose Muhammad. Moose left, mm-hmm. went to Chicago. Uh, Steve Smith turned into a, a, a top-five league wide receiver. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the last wide receiver to win the Triple Crown um, in 05. Uh, most receiving yards, most touchdowns, most catches. No one's done that since him, if I'm not mistaken. Jake DeLone was his quarterback. Um, the 03 Panthers were called the Cardiac Cats because, man, there was like five or six games that year where Jake had to take them down the field to get in field goal position or score in the fourth quarter 
you know, last last team with the ball wins type thing. Yeah. And Jake was just constantly delivering. Um, I know Panther fans have a sour taste in their mouth from how Jake's career ended in Carolina. His arm basically just fell off. Um, the the playoff game against Arizona, he had six well six turnovers. It just felt like this bad movie that would not stop. Um, yeah. It was a horrible game. And then the Panthers turned around and gave him a, a contract extension immediately after that game. So people have this – and he was never the same, really, after that. I think that was the mm-hmm. that was the 08 season, 08 postseason. Then going into 09 was when his, his arm basically just gave out on him. And you could just tell. Like, he just didn't have any kind of strength on it anymore. But you can't take away the dude's heart. Like, he was that one guy um, that out of all the Panther quarterbacks, including Cam Newton, where – I still have this image in my head, and it's funny because you were in this game, uh, Panthers Patriots Super Bowl Thirty Eight, when Jake threw that touchdown to Moose Muhammad, that if I'm not mistaken is still the longest touchdown throw in the history of the Super Bowl. Uh, there's this there's this shot that like NFL films will use, and it's Jake after he, he's already thrown the ball, everybody's already up the field, and he's standing there and he is just mouthing off at a New England Patriot defensive lineman like. He's just talking so much smack to him. And at that point, the game was on. Like, I mean, this was this was like fourth quarter, early fourth quarter. And, you know, that game was just like back and forth, back and forth in the – and it was in pockets. It was like 0-0 zero, zero for the longest. And then yeah. all of a sudden it was just an explosion of boom, boom, boom. Both, both teams started scoring. Third quarter kind of went back to figuring each other out. And then fourth quarter was just boom, boom, boom again. And it was like yeah. watching a heavyweight fight with just each team giving each other body blows. And me seeing Jake – just basically talk smack to this 300-pound defensive lineman that couldn't get to him in time before he released the ball. I'm, I'm just like, that's that's what I like. I like that. Yeah. I want that guy yeah. to be my quarterback. I want to follow him into the yeah. battle because he's sitting here talking junk to these dudes that are twice his size. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you can sit on him and it'd be over with. And he was just like, oh, you like that. You like that we got more. I mean, you couldn't – I can't really say exactly what he was saying, but I have a pretty good idea. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that exactly. kind of that kind of thing, to me, Jake DeLome, uh intangibles was who I picked for uh, yeah. the Panthers. Yeah. Well, um, like you said, the last – I have uh, – I think you might have covered it, but uh, on your end, but I'm going to come back and go to my field vision. But mm-hmm. heart-wise, yes, I went with Jake DeLome, Jake DeLome um and remember, I've seen great quarterbacks. I played with Peyton Manning. I've seen what how he drives the offense up and down the field, uh, comebacks. I've seen Tom Brady do it. So when I've selected Jake um, the home with this heart, I go back to the drive that he led the Panthers down the field against the St. Louis Rams in overtime. Ooh, yes. Give the Panthers that birth to the Super Bowl. Now you talk about pressure. Now, yes, the Super Bowl is pressure, but it's tremendous pressure to be in a in a situation overtime when you have to drive the ball. And it wasn't like it was a run that got the Panthers that touchdown. It was a pass. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that the Panthers, hey, we're gonna put it in Jake the long hand and uh, in your arm, and we're going to allow you to make the right read. And he made the right read, threw it to Steve Smith. Steve Smith went on and scored. The Panthers in the uh, Super Bowl. Now, when I go back to the vision, because remember, I said arm strength, athletic mobility, decision-making, uh, field vision, and heart. 
that is what I consider our key components for a quarterback in the NFL or any type of uh, league. But Steve Birdline was going to be my field vision because mm, okay. in order to throw for 4,436 yards, which is still, like you said, the tops for the Panthers in one season, and also to lead the league not only in the passing yards but in completion with 343, which Steve played 90 games with the Panthers, that says that he had to have field vision to be able to throw that ball. Using your words, he threw it all across the field that year. Yeah, so did. at 99, <laughs> he had great field vision to be able to throw the ball to the right receivers against the right defense so that receiver could get the most yak yards after the catch for that game. So my field vision goes to uh, Steve uh, Birdline. I'm sorry, Steve played 51 games. 51 games here with the Panthers. Jake DeLone played 90 games here in Carolina. So those are my uh, attributes of what my Frankenstein quarterback would look like. <laughs> and I, I like that. So really, we had the same, except you had um, Kerry Collins for arm. I had Steve Berline. And you had uh, Berline for the intangibles. I had Jake DeLone. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, head. You had uh, – or – Field vision, you had Steve Berline, which easily an argument can be made there, which you just did in terms of what Berline can do. And uh, you can actually listen to the podcast with Steve Berline from a couple weeks back on the Believe Podcast Network uh, with us here. We we have run out of time. We got to get out of here. Fun show. Yeah. Um, coming up here in just a second, Scott Fowler from the Charlotte Observer is going to check in with us uh, from Charlotte, where the Panthers are in the middle of week two of training camp. So far, so good. No positive COVID cases tie coming out of Charlotte right now. Good news. Uh, yeah, great news. So we'll we'll see how that goes. We'll check in with Scott Fowler from the Charlotte Observer right after this. You're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Desmond Johnson, Tyrone Poole here with you. Special guest, writer from the Charlotte Observer award-winning columnist scott fowler joining us on the believe in panther podcast this week what's going on scott how you guys doing thanks for having me thank doing, you for being on doing pretty good uh we're excited for football uh it feels like it's getting closer and closer um so i definitely wanted to get you on to get some uh insight on teddy bridgewater our new starting quarterback it's kind of weird for panther fans we haven't had to deal with this in you know seven plus years having to have a new guy in that position Scott, what's the first, what's the one thing about Teddy Bridgewater that you've kind of come to learn through these Zoom interviews and reading about him, writing about him? What's the one thing about him that Panther fans may not know going into 2020? Well, there's still so much we don't know yet, Desmond and Tyrone, I think. We haven't seen him play in a Panther uniform yet. So mm -hmm. what I've, what I can tell you is fairly limited, but I will say that talking to others about Teddy has been somewhat illuminating and they often use some version of he's a pro. They'll say that he's a pro. And it just does seem like he, he really eats and sleeps football. He's calm. One of his nicknames is steady Teddy. He's just not a guy who's going to, um, uh, get way up or way down uh, as a quarterback. And, it, you know, he's not as charismatic as Cam either. I mean, there, there won't be 
probably quite as much joy in his performance when things are going well. But I also think he will handle things well when they go poorly. And they are going to go poorly sometimes this year, let's just be honest. So I think he's he's a good guy at a good time for the Panthers to be their starter. Would you would you say that's the biggest difference between Teddy and Cam Newton, that, um, I, I, that he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, whereas with Cam – it felt like every Sunday we were kind of on a roller coaster of emotions kind of in terms of uh, how the team was performing. Is that the biggest difference between the two, would you say? Well, yes, one of the biggest differences for sure. I think, again, we'll we'll know more after we see him play in a few games. But, you know, another thing he cannot do is he doesn't run real well. He's not a – so one obvious difference people will learn quickly. Now, Cam didn't run – last year either, you know, but, or really a whole lot the year before, but Cam in his prime, the way he could take it on third and one himself, that's not going to happen here. I mean, they're going to get that, that ball will go to McCaffrey, but yes, I think Teddy's personality quite quickly will, will show Panthers fans. They're going to like him. Uh, I mean, he's a likable person, but he is not the uh, joy ride that Cam Newton was. I'm actually this Scott. Uh, uh, quarterbacks, myself playing for a long time, quarterbacks always have that safety blanket. Most of the time it's a tight end. Yeah. With the Panthers running this three wide receiver set and you actually being in, you know, able to see these guys for the short time, is there a particular receiver that Teddy is trying to build that relationship with that safety guy. This is my guy I'm going to go to when things get tough. Well, actually, I think it'll be McCaffrey. I think he's going to use McCaffrey very much like what you're speaking about, Tyrone. And I should note that I'm so old that I covered Tyrone <laughs> Poole when he was a rookie with the Panthers. That's how long I've been around. Uh, he was a, he was a great player. And so now Teddy Bridgewater a little bit as a rookie with the Panthers too. I mean, he's played a lot, but he's still coming into this new. And I think listening to McCaffrey, listening to DJ Moore, those are going to be the two guys. But I think McCaffrey is really where he'll go first, that that's going to be the place that he feels most comfortable They've obviously been in each other's ear a lot already. And DJ Moore is a guy that Matt Rule is really trying to get to step up and to be the Panthers version of Michael Thomas, which that's very difficult to do, but that's what they would love to have DJ Moore be. And then Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel are more home run threats, I think. But it's McCaffrey and DJ. One of those two guys gets the ball on third and six, I think, every time. Scott Fowler, sports columnist from the Charlotte Observer with us on the Believe in Panther podcast. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler and definitely go to charlotteobserver.com to check out his work uh, each week. Uh, I'm kind of glad you touched on um, the offensive weapons that they have in Carolina because it's kind of weird in terms of going into this season because I look at the roster and, yes, the defense is super young. They basically shipped everybody out of town, so that's a complete unknown. But looking at the offense – I mean, it stacks up really well compared to other offenses across the league. Can this 2020 Panthers team surprise people in 2020, or is this basically a quote-unquote throwaway season? I know, I know a lot of people are kind of expect, well, expecting them to not perform well this year with everything that's kind of against them. But realistically, Scott, with the talent they have on offense, 
what type of record are you really expecting this Panther team to have when there's really not going to be a quote unquote home field advantage for teams this year with uh, with the way you know coronavirus is going to be affecting attendance? Yeah, I you know I I do think it'll be somewhat of a throwaway year. I think they have a chance and they will surprise some people. They will win one or two games that you go, well, I'm surprised they won that. I think the problem is more defensively, uh, where they really have uh, some struggles and some guys who are just going to have to learn each other. So I think the offense, I've written this, but I think the offense is going to need to score in the 30s to win some of these games. I mean, I think they'll play exciting, and they might have some games that they lose 34 to 31 or something or, you know, 42 to 29, and they're on the 29 side. I think they're going to score some points. You're right, Desmond. But we got to see if they can stop people. Now, if suddenly they can stop people decently and hold teams into the low 20s or something, you know, they might go from four, they might win instead of four games, more like seven or eight. But my guess would be more in the four range uh, with an exciting offense and a suspect defense. Yeah. And Scott, let me ask you a quick question. You talk about the 30 points and the defense. Probably you're saying if the offense has to score 30 points, you're basically saying the defense going to give up over 30 points. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Do you think the pressure is more on the offense or the defense to ensure that the Panthers may have an opportunity to get seven or eight wins? Uh, is it crucial for the offense that we got to score 30, 40 something points or the defense to say, hey, you know, if we can get a couple of stops here and there doing some games, it's crucial for us to get off the field on third down or, hey, our offense is just so good. We just score points. Yeah, I think defensively, Tyrone, uh, I think that's where that's where the biggest room for improvement is. If suddenly, let's say Brian Burns just has a breakout season and instead of having six or seven sacks, he has more like 15. And Derek Brown, uh, you know, is is really, really good as a rookie. And Dante Jackson stops being inconsistent and turns more into, you know, turns more into a Tyrone Poole type guy. <laughs> Let's say all yes. that happens. And then, you know, somebody replaces Keekley, Shaq Thompson, you know, that's where the room for improvement is. I think the offense is pretty good. My one question with the offense is the offensive line. But defensively, I have a bunch of questions. If some of those are answered, then there's your story. You know, there's the there's their chance. Because if they can suddenly get a better pass rush than I suspect, if they can, you know, what it, the problem last year was the run game. Oh, my goodness. They were horrible against the run in those last eight games, one guy after another goes over a hundred yards. It was terrible. So that's where they got to start is that they've got to be able to stop the run. Then if they can do that, yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting. It'll be interesting regardless, really. It's going to be nice to see a lot of new faces and a new team, but no matter what happens this year, I just, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. Let's just be honest. So I think this is the year where you build for year two and year three. One of your fellow uh, writers at the Charlotte Observer, Elena Getzenberg, she's been on with us a couple of times uh, since we started a few months back. And uh, actually, she was our guest last week. And we were talking about how you had basically labeled this the weirdest training camp in the history of the Carolina Panthers franchise. Uh, some of it with the you know complete and total turnover 
of uh, basically the entire defense is pretty much gone. New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new head coach. Um, but the main thing, of course, uh, we couldn't let you get out of here, Scott, without a comment on what's going on around the NFL. Uh, and, of course, we're still in the middle of uh, coronavirus and trying to figure out how they're going to be able to do this through the season. 66 NFL players opted out of the 2020 season. The Patriots had eight players total, uh, the most in the entire league. What are your thoughts on if the NFL will be able to actually finish, not start, because this train is going down the track apparently, but what are your thoughts on the NFL being able to finish the 2020 season? And are you expecting large gaps of players missing throughout the season? How, how do you think this is going to play out? Because this is uncharted territory, not just for the Panthers, but for everyone. Yeah, really uncharted. You're right. And I'm sure any prediction I make here will be very suspect. But <laughs> who will hold it against you? You know, <laughs> that's, I'll join the crowd there because who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I have been impressed with the way the NBA and the NHL and, you know, uh, Major League Soccer and some of these other uh, in the bubble uh, that they've done. And so the NFL, I think you're right. Uh, they're going to start. I would not be surprised at all if I think they'll also finish. I think they'll end up one way or the other. They're bound and determined to finish. So I don't know that it'll be on the same date that they say it is now. I also don't know that every team will play 16 games. I think it's very possible some team ends up playing 14 or 15, and they, you know, they do it by winning percentage or something. I think that all could happen. Um, you know, they might shorten the entire season. They might have a three-week break in the middle when there's a big outbreak. Who knows? But I do think they're they're bound and determined, and the players are too, because they need to get paid. And this is a pro sport, and let's make no mistake, they're doing this for money. Uh, everybody is. And so they've all got that at the end of the rainbow. So I think they're going to try very hard to get it done. I think it will finally get done. I have a lot more doubts, honestly, about college football uh, than I do about the NFL. But, shoot, the NFL might get shut down too. I mean, we're just all in such uncharted territory now. I hope they play. Uh, because it'll be interesting. But if it's going to put people's lives at stake, obviously they, they should not play. And uh, We know you're, you're pressed for time. We do appreciate you stopping by with us today. Uh, Panthers in the middle of their training camp. I know you got a billion other things going on, Scott. Uh, definitely appreciate you stopping by the Believe in Panthers podcast. And maybe we'll be able to run into each other in a press box down at BOA sometime this season. Uh, although I don't know if that's going <laughs> to, I don't know if the, how the NFL is even going to do press boxes at this point. So maybe uh, in a zoom call, it might yeah. be more likely. Yeah, yeah probably but, we'll have to wrap up in bubble tape or something. And, <laughs> right. I heard they have a mean ice cream machine in there. So we'll, they definitely do. Try to, they do. <laughs> we'll definitely try to figure it out. Scott, man, we appreciate you. Scott Fowler, follow him at Scott underscore Fowler on Twitter. Read his stuff at charlotteobserver.com. Thank you so much for doing this with us, man. All right. Thank you, guys. I like your show. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.